We had a, a meeting at work, and I had the um, I had the honor, I suppose, uh, of giving a toast to one of our captains that died. Oh wow! And um, that kind of surprised me, man. How that that was heavy. Like yeah. I've always seen people do toasts. This was the first time I had to give a toast to someone, or I shouldn't say had to. Like it was a burden. It was it was a privilege, really, to know someone enough to do that. But I didn't I didn't realize how much that takes out of you. Like pretty much the whole evening was a write off for me. You know, like I, I, I had a little speech kind of prepared, just some bullet points and and uh did the talk. But then afterwards like I just I couldn't stop thinking about it for like a week. Like it just just having to reflect on that person and, and you know, who they were and then just to say that in front of, you know, like twenty, thirty people, um, just that whole process. I was, I couldn't get it out of my head for like a week and it was, it was really heavy. So I don't know. That was one of those things that I, I, I respected. I always respected people that could do that, but I don't think I realized that that's not, it's not an easy thing to get up there and say something like that. Yeah. What would you say was the most challenging aspect of it? I think after, after the speech, I shouldn't say a speech, it was a toast probably like three minutes or something and told a couple funny stories and ended on how, how he really was a great person. Yeah. But then when I came down, we all had dinner and that's when it bothered me because I, I, I saw in the people that worked with him closely, just like this, just this heaviness, like they felt it too. And, and I mean, a lot of these guys are sailors, right? They're hard, hardworking people, but just like, most of them almost brought to tears and and silent and we you know we had some drinks but just that just that it was it was in the air i guess that everyone was kind of feeling this this sadness this this grief for this guy that we lost and that we all worked with pretty closely um that i didn't expect that <laughs> i think that was that was the harder part it's interesting like how some of these rituals and I imagine this, uh, you know, toast thing or whatever you guys did as some sort of ritual that that exists where can make it. I don't know what to say. I want to say real, but it's real before that. But it can really, you know, like when you're a funeral like sometimes there's a couple weeks the person passes and then there's a time before you actually come together the funeral and that particular ritual can bring up a lot of these you know emotions and things like that but in reality the person you know passed 2 weeks prior so every moment up into that so it's like these rituals that have existed for probably ever in human history I don't know, like really have a a purpose and a need to 
to feel and accept and grieve. It's, um, it's an interesting thing. Like I know we've talked about it before a little bit on rituals, but it's a fascinating thing of like, maybe it's obvious, but like the things that have existed throughout human history, like have a purpose and are needed and exist for a reason. Uh, maybe that's super obvious, but it's easy to forget, you know, the, mm. the role of, of rituals. It is strange. And I think I really realized that in the, with this particular genre of like death and grievance of grieving my, uh, when my grandfather died, my old man was, um, I don't know, like we, obviously it was tough, you know, he had cancer and he kind of fell apart slowly and had the, the cancer death journey, which is, isn't a pleasant one by no means. And, you know, we all went to the funeral and, and it was fine, but when he got his tombstone, that's when, that's when my old man just kind of mm. really broke down. Like up till this point, he, you know, he was feeling it, of course, but it wasn't, it was like you said, it wasn't real yet. And then when he saw the tombstone, because basically we had the funeral and then he, the tombstone wasn't in place yet. So that wouldn't come for like weeks after. And then we heard that the tombstone was there and installed and we all went up and he's like, I just remember the old man just breaking down into tears. Right. Just, and, and he was saying, he's like, it's, it's real now. And it, it is interesting how that it's like, that's that, that was like the last step in that journey of death, even though the, my grandfather was already dead. It's like psychologically in everyone else's head. He, he wasn't yet until the tombstone was down. Or, you know, in my dad's case, that's how he th- felt about it. So it's not nothing, these rituals. Yeah. I, I find it um, an interesting thing. Like, as you say, psychologically, I'm, I'm sure you've done a number of episodes where, like, death has come up, and I, I have as well. But I think of uh, maybe four or five years ago now, um, my my dog died. I had two that we got around the same time, and they they both passed, uh, you know, within a year or two of each other. But I remember the second that that passed, his name was Rocky. I I came downstairs and I found him in the kitchen. You know, he had passed, and his body was, you know, already stiffening up and kind of expanded and things like that and it's you know I had to be the one that was you know you you take them somewhere you pick them up and you you know you you bring them somewhere and things like that and through much of of human history like and much of like the the world still today when someone passes that's you know how it happens it it happens within the home and um uh, i can't necessarily remember the book i i tried to um get the author on the on the podcast a while back but she is um i'll have to look look that up here momentarily if we get an opportunity but she talks about how this profession of like a mortician and you know like funeral homes is a a very modern thing. You know, it used to be that was some sort of family member and that was part of the 
the ritual where you would bathe and, and dress this person and, and bury this person, um, where now today, you know, it's much different. You met that person might not be living in home with you. They might be in a, in a hospital. Sometimes like the first time that you see this person at the funeral, they might be, you know, pumped full of fluids that, you know, make them look in a certain way, have makeup on, dress, like, um, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm not necessarily saying that, but it's in terms of um, the psychological thing. Like, I wonder the role of, of really seeing, like, what's happening. You know, really seeing. I've never experienced that my myself. I've never you know, seeing someone, you know, a family member die within my home and, you know, and deal with that and prepare a, a funeral and things like that. But it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I wonder what that change in modern culture and societies, the way we do it, like the upsides and downsides of that. We are removed from that process, eh? And, and it's very clear because, like, most people don't even want to, talk it's like taboo now to talk about death or to talk about dying it's um it, you have to be you have to be really close with someone before you start talking about how sick your mother is or how sick your father is it's like this this very intimate thing in a relationship it, like it's not it's taboo it's like no one wants to bring it up and we are removed from the process and i don't think that is a good thing because i think i think it is a process of life you know, it's it's a road that we all have to go down, and um, I just wonder how how much better we would think about life if we did have to see that that whole process. Because now, if someone gets sick, you go into the hospital, you see them, and then you leave, going, "Oh man, they got so much worse than last time." And then you go off and you live your life, and you almost forget about it for for a lot for the rest of your time that you're not there with them. And whereas if you're going home every day and seeing this, it it normalizes it. And I don't mean normalizing it in like a bad way, but I, I mean it it forces you to confront the reality of existence, which is that you're not going to be here forever. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a tremendous amount of, obviously there's a tremendous amount of value in that. We I know we both believe that. And I, I don't know, um, I don't know how to get that back as a society because, you know, we, we do have this thing now where we're so... I want to say privileged and entitled in many ways that we all want our own space. And you and I have talked about this a little bit where you know, we want our own space. We don't have to live. We don't want to have to live with anyone. You know, if our parents get sick, we don't want them to stay with us. Uh, and I'm guilty of this too. I mean, I'm not pointing fingers here, but uh, you know, if I, if I were to look at it objectively, I'd say that it's probably a good thing that you walk your parents through death as they walked you through life. It's probably a good thing. How does this recent experience, when you connect it with this this practice of memento mori or, you know, remembering that, you know, we too shall pass type of stuff, did you find yourself thinking about, like, you know, making any sort of connections with memento mori? Because I know, obviously, you've done a number of episodes, I know that's something that you know, is not necessarily like new to you. How does a, 
how does a real experience um, connect or not connect with that particular practice? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a shock, right? Because I do think about this pretty often. What I, what I would say was a very heartwarming thing for me is everyone goes back to those memento mori lessons when someone dies. So his, uh, the captain that died, his chief mate, which is the second in command, they were very close, right? And, you know, we were, we were obviously talking about his, his death and he, he made the point. He was like, I, I, I get, I don't understand why people get so frustrated over the little things because like people die every day. Like this happens all the time and it's not a crazy thing. And that's sort of that memento mori idea. It's like put things in perspective a little bit. And, you know, you and I voluntarily choose to meditate on death. But the funny thing about reality is that it, it doesn't, it's going to snap back at you every now and then. So you, you can avoid thinking about death. You can close your eyes for a while, but you can't close your eyes forever. Eventually something is going to snap because you can't bend reality. And that's either going to be someone close to you is going to die or you're going to have a near-death experience or you're going to get sick or you're going to die. And we all go through those same lessons, I think. This is what I see. I don't, I don't know if in your experience if you see the same thing, but when someone dies around you, I see people their orientation changes, their perspective changes, and hopefully it changes semi-permanently, right? But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes people, you know, it's like they go through that little lesson and they grieve and then it's like, oh, back to caring about stupid shit again for the next 20 years. And it, it's a hard thing to prioritize and keep perspective, but I guess that's why Memento Mori is supposed to be like a daily practice. Yeah. I um sometimes observe a different response when it comes to this, uh, the fact that, you know, we're going to die and it's uncertain and all of this type of stuff. I very much experience it myself of like, you know, what's really important, you know, it's like not a lot, but then there could be this other thing of, um, where, wow, like I might, you know, pass at any point in time. And there's this, um, need to, it, it really can make, it seems to me of, um, seemingly small type of stuff much bigger. Cause it's like, yes, I, and, um, and, and maybe there's another response where it can just be like this uninspiring kind of uh, pessimistic view. Nihilism. But it, yeah, it seems like this um, practice can be a different result for many, many people. Why is that? Like, how do we make sense of that? I, I would say because they haven't stared long enough into it. Yeah. When you first learn about death, you do approach something like nihilism. Right. And it's and it's attempting. Tempting is a is a strange word, I suppose. It's an easy thing to fall into when you learn about death, right? Um but I, I think if you stare long enough into that void, I think you do you do end up seeing the light. I, I sometimes think um 
the Spinoza character, which I'm I'm not like super super familiar with, but he says this thing of think least of death, you know, focus on on life, if you will. And I I tend to speculate that it's because he he really like stared long enough into it. Like he came to realize the truth of it and accepted it. And maybe Montaigne says something sim- similar. You know, I, I want, uh, you know, death to find me pan- planting my cabbages, not necessarily worried about, you know, this or that. You're still like, yes, you come to accept that. And then there still is this precious enjoying life and and maybe that you know we talk about gratitude quite a bit maybe that connects with really just being grateful or some sort of amor fati um but yeah i don't i don't know you know how the uh the epicureans are always talking about fear and anxiety and stuff like that um where you know i'm i'm not in my 70s or 80s so i'm like Speaking of a, even though obviously I could pass at any point in time, like anybody else, it's maybe not as real as someone that's 78 years old, you know, and there's a pandemic and this and that. Um, but the, the fear and anxiety thing starts like coming up and then it's maybe can distort the whole thing, you know, distorts of what's what really matters, what really doesn't and can make things challenging. For sure. I mean, I, yeah, this, uh, people in the end of their lives. I mean, I see people that are just so happy with that, uh, it, or happy in that phase of life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting. Uh, I, I don't know for me, I don't, I'm not, I don't fear death that much. I, what I, and it's not that I don't fear it cause obviously I do, but I fear something more and that's not living. And I don't mean not being alive. I mean not living. I mean, like if I were to say to you, Josh, you can you can live, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you and lie you down in your bed, and I'm going to bring you some food, whatever. It's not going to be lobster, but it's going to be, de- you know, nurture, uh, nurturing food. But you can't work. You can't really see anyone you care about. You kind of got to just sit there and lie lie there and stare at the ceiling all day. Like for most people, that's just terrifying. For me, that's terrifying. Just being it's like waking up in the morning and not being able to go and do things. But it definitely seems like to to maybe try to one up the <laughs> the scenario there. I mean, it seems like you know in that situations like you can flourish, you know. And we've all met people. There's there's lots of people that are in those situations that seem like they're flourishing. But put you in the body and mind of the underground man or the Hitler or, you know, that, ooh, like that is um, from a compassion thing. Like if we're looking at those characters with compassion, thinking that if we were in their body and mind that we would be doing the same things, it's like, that is a, you know a rough as a rough scenario for for me and i don't necessarily think that it's out of um i mean those are extreme examples 
But I don't necessarily think it's like out of bounds to find yourself as a very unvirtuous person, um, like feeling a bunch of ingratitude and resentment and, you know, suffering. I don't think it's um, something that's not possible. Well, there's no upper limits of gratitude. Yeah. That's the crazy thing is there's no yeah. upper limits of gratitude. And there's also no upper limits or lower limits of ingratitude. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You, you, you can... Get down there. You can. You can. Like there's, and that's, that's so interesting to me. Uh, I, I think from a, from a future perspective, I think what I fear even more than that is... is um, I, I got this from... Uh, uh, I think I always had this understood what it is, but I got this, uh, it was put really well in, uh, the Lord of the Rings by a woman in there. And she said she didn't fear death. And he said, well, what do you fear? And she said she feared a cage. She feared being locked in a cage Mm. until she grows old and all opportunity for great deeds are gone. Basically meaning I fear being unable to live up to my potential. And I thought about that for a while because I fear that probably more than anything. I definitely fear that more than dying. Just being being unable to to live up to my potential. And then I think about how much of that cage is self-imposed. How much of that cage am I putting on myself? <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's even scarier because <laughs> yeah. who the hell knows? Yeah. And the um the fear and the anxiety, like fear, anxiety, shame, guilt, you know, who's to say that that's not some sort of self-imposed cage, if, if you will, you know, it could like, be if it's it paralyzing right down on me that all of us essentially can, you know, like the door's right there to walk out if we, you know, so choose or so have the wisdom to, to do so. Um, man, what's your favorite Dostoevsky quote? I feel like there's a quote that you really like that connects with what you were just discussing. God, I got so many. I think the one I always <laughs> go back to is above all, do not lie to yourself. Yeah. Cause that, that's just one I have to think about on a daily basis because we lie to ourselves all the time. At least I do. I, uh, if you listen to yourself, you'll find yourself lying all the time. Um, mostly to yourself. Like for example, you, you, you screw something up at work and you start trying to figure out why you screwed up. That wasn't your fault. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's just, I don't know. I, and you're embarrassed about something and you lie to yourself about, about it. Um, you have an argument with something and you lie about how right you are, or you lie about why you're actually wrong to make yourself look better. Like there's all these little psychological things that if, if you listen at least if I listen to myself, I find these I find these opportunities that are very tempting for me to lie to myself about. And and it's interesting because you could say, well, if you don't say it, is it a lie? And I think that's Dostoevsky's point. It's like you don't have to say it. You just have to think it and believe it, and then it is a lie. Which one were you which quote were you thinking about? I know that was a different tangent, but uh, I I thought there was No, I mean I I think so many things connect. I, I think that definitely connects but there's something about um living up to your 
suffering, not living up, but some sort of like being worthy of, um, you know, the, you could say suffering, but it's really just, you know, whatever life unfolds in, in front of you, you know, being worthy of those, those challenges. Is there something like that? I think there's something like, yeah, being worthy of your suffering. I might try and do a quick Google search here. Yeah. I don't know. When you think about practicing the practice of memento mori, I would imagine everybody in a way has like a different version or, you know, whatever it may be. Maybe it's like a quick reminder, Um, but it could be helpful to share maybe how we think about it. Like, you know, sometimes the um, Marcus Aurelius lines, like, you know, you, you could leave life right now. Or sometimes you think it's like, you know, this could be your last day. But sometimes I think it's helpful to even, because that can be pretty extreme. And it's like, if this is my last day, you know, I'm not going to work. I'm not, you know, I'm just like, everything's stopping, you know, I'm, uh, I'm literally going to try to hug my kids and my wife and not let them go. But, but maybe you can expand it out of like, you know, if this is my last year, cause I mean, that's, it's really possible. Like if 2023 is, is it like, how do I want to live? You know, how, how do I, how can I be more honest with myself in all of this? And maybe it's like month, you know, if I had six months, if I had a year, but, um, I think it's fascinating. Like the Buddhists have these like corpse meditations of where you basically sit in, um, can contemplate, like, say you're running down a trail, you know, and you're, you're running on this trail and you, you trip and, and break your leg and you don't have any way to communicate anybody, you know, and you're there and they'll imagine and meditate, you know, all the way through to your entire body decomposing, you know, it's like everything, you know, you imagine the the critters that might come up and, you know, just all of these things, or, you know, you could do it whichever way you want, you know, imagine your, um, you know, more modern times, maybe like, you know, your funeral and, you know, being buried and all this, but from an experiential thing, it's weird how imagination, like we can literally imagine and picture ourselves and feel emotion and feel, you know, sadness and, and, really experience it at a deep level what is essentially inevitable it's uncertain of when but that particular thing is inevitable and at the end of that you know a now now what you know like that can really be a powerful thing and maybe there's not time and maybe it's not helpful to do that deep of a thing you know every single day but this, um, you you can really go down a down a rabbit hole with this stuff, and and it can be an inspiring thing, I think, or or put things into perspective, you know, based on this, like what really matters now. I've heard about that practice. I've read it in Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Oh yeah, and nice. yeah, that practice of like imagining what happens after you die, 
And I think the point of that, I don't know, but I think the point of that is to connect you with the cosmos. It's like your place in the world, bigger than the world, your place in the universe and how everything's sort of interconnected. Uh, I, I, I would, I don't know if that, that one resonates with me a lot. I, I tend to think, I just tend to think about, I don't know, not just not waking up tomorrow or yeah. I'll tell you what gets me. And in fact, I had, um, I was out at a work party and was yelling too much and I got a sore throat, which kind of led into, I think a, a, a small infection. Like, you know, you get a sore throat if it, if it gets, uh, uh, inflamed. Um, but when I'm sick, when I'm having any symptoms, there's a tempting thought to be, well, I'm going to get better soon. Right. <laughs> and I just can't wait to get better. And that's a very tempting thought. And I'll respond to that with, there's going to be a time in your life where you're going to get sick and you're not going to get better. And that, man, that just shatters. Like you want to talk about humbling. You talk about you being sick, feeling miserable and letting go of all hope that you can potentially get better. Not that you obviously, you know, you, you, you hope to get better and you drink your soup and all that good stuff. But that idea of when you die, this is what it's going to be like. Only you're not going to get better. You're just going to get sick. You're going to feel like shit. You're going to have all these symptoms. You're going to feel terrible. You're not going to want to do anything. You're going to want to get better, but you're just not going to get better. And that's like a slap in the face of, of reality. Yeah. The, um, I mean, like wanting to get better. Like it, it reminds me of this thing of like, as these philosophers talk about, you know, that maybe learning to live and learning to die is the same thing. You know, it's like sometimes I connect it with, um, the desire thing, like the want, like I wonder Socrates or these other people, you know, saints and things like that, living and dying to them, essentially, it didn't matter. You know, it, it mattered more to commit to some sort of principles, to commit to some sort of, you know, way of way of life type of deal. Um, like, you know, for Socrates, it's this for like the saint, it's some sort of Christian belief type of thing. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I wonder, do you ever think about that? This idea of, um, like Seneca talks about adopt a single rule to live by. And he's, he's talking about you know, generally speaking, not a specific rule, but like, you know, virtue, obviously. And like nothing else matters. Is that, um, to be specific, like, is that not helpful? Is that too high of a mark to even, uh, like set? I don't uh, know. No, I don't know, but I actually think that it resonates back with what you said when you quoted Marcus Aurelius about living each day as if it's your last. Because I thought about that a while. I hate, I, I shouldn't say hate. I did not like that idea for the longest time because I, th I just thought that was stupid. Like if you, 
you got ten grand in the bank and you know you're dying tomorrow. You're probably gonna spend some of that, right? But yeah, is that the best? That's how I think about it too. You know. <laughs> but then I but then I thought a bit deeper on it, and I, maybe the maybe the degree by which you can you can live by that philosophy is by the degree that you are already living by that philosophy. So that's confusing. If you're living, let's say you're living a flourishing life and you know you're dying tomorrow, you're probably going to get up the next day and do the same damn thing that you're already doing. Like if I were to say to you, Josh, you're going to die tomorrow, what's your day going to look like? And how close is that going to be to what you're doing now? And how close would that be to what you would define as your perfect day? 90%, 75%, 50%, 10%. Yeah. It depends how happy, how flourishing you are as an individual. Could you say that one more time? Yeah. So if I were to say, Josh, you got one more day to live tomorrow. Yeah. What are you going to do during that day as compared to what you would normally do every other day? What's going to be different? Mm. Or would you still get up roughly at the same time? Would you still see your kids? Would you still kiss your wife? Would you still bring them to school? Would you still make them meals? Yeah. Would you still have a chat with me? Like, what would you do? And is that still aligned with would I, what would I do if I died tomorrow? Wouldn't it be, I mean, I, I would think like personally, I want to, to, to use uh, the maximize agency um, word, like our last episode uh you know how to be free we were kind of arguing a bit back and forth but like i would want to maximize my agency to live that day in accordance with really what i believe to be you know leading a life type of thing like it would align with wisdom traditions type of stuff but i could imagine that like your underground man your Hitler characters might want to maximize their agency also based on their views and beliefs of what they think, you know, is they might maximize some evil in the, in the world, which is, that's why I think like the core views and beliefs type of stuff is so important. Like sometimes these core views and beliefs that we have that are seems like shaping our behaviors unconsciously even sometimes are so important to cultivate um you know how we see how we want to live and like we all have these things like how do we want to what's our meaning of hardship how do we want to respond to hardship like i guarantee if i was to ask you that you have clarity you know like that and as as humans, like if we don't have that, then it's it's an unpredictable type of thing. And I, I think that's like a little bit of what Seneca's banging on about, kind of like adopt a single rule, or it's like, you know, respond consistently. You know, don't do this sometimes and then that sometimes and then this. You know, it's like get some consistency. Like know, you know, that virtue is the thing and consistently respond to virtue if you're facing hardship you know this is the the move but it seems like we have to have so much clarity so much belief so much commitment to a particular um 
Yeah, so much commitment to a particular, maybe you'd say way of life, but you could probably say a bunch of other different things there. Yeah, but that, so you answered that perfectly because that that was what I was thinking is that if you have one more day to live, the answer is you're going to live that in a way that is aligned with your values as as much as you can. You're going to maximize your agency. If you're a stoic, you're going to try and be the most virtuous person you can the next day. And so that's interesting because if you were to say, okay, if I'm going to die tomorrow, well, what am I not going to do? Probably not going to spend three hours watching The Walking Dead, which I've been watching a lot of The Walking Dead. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't. Like if I, if I had one day to live, I wouldn't spend three hours watching The Walking Dead. I'd probably go see, I'd take that time and go see my family or or, or read something that, that I, I really find meaningful or report, record a podcast episode or, or call a friend. Like I'd, Watching The Walking Dead wouldn't be on my list. So then the question is, should it be on any list ever? And that, that's, what, that's what that quote from Marcus Aurelius is speaking to me. It's like, if you're going to die tomorrow, what, what are you going to do? And if you contemplate that question, the answer is going to be whatever you deem important in life. And if you don't deem it important in life, why are you doing it today? So based on that, you know, should someone maybe pull back a bit on the practice of memento mori until, you know, they have a bit of clarity of how they want to live and, you know, what the good life is and what it looks like? Perhaps. Now I'm thinking, you know, and if it's, if it's going to create this urgency and this clarity and your values are, you know, aligned just, you know, to the opposite of, of the path of virtue. But I don't know, but maybe it does have some sort of, um, maybe it does, you think, like bring you to the, uh, to the good, you know, like that clarity maybe also helps like, you know what I'm saying, but you know, does it help in a way to, you know, influence the good or help you to see the more virtuous path or whatever you'd call it? I mean, I, I think the, the point of the question is to give you clarity, but you raise an interesting point because I'm sure there are people, certainly there's people that I know, that if you were to ask them, if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do? And they would go partying. They'd say, I'd, I'd go to the liquor store, I'd stock up on everything, and I would just party, and I'd go to the strip club, and I'd do this, and I'd do that. And I'd do, they'd do all the things that you and I, if it were our last day on earth, I would not be interested in. And so it's an interesting question. It's like, do you need some clarity before you, before you really delve into that? I, I don't know, man. It's, it's complicated, right? Because some people, some people are so focused on, let's say, their career and are neglecting their family. And if you were to sit them down and you say, listen, you're going to die tomorrow. What are you going to do? They'd have this, this epiphany that, oh, shit, I should spend some time with my kids. And and while they're so while they're ignoring and neglecting their kids, but so focused on their on their career, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? That's an interesting conundrum. Yeah, I I don't. I mean, I could see it going either either way. But there's a funny uh, curb your enthusiasm episode where they call it like a stage four wisdom. 
you know, where this person has stage four cancer and they, they basically talking about how they have this, this wisdom and like clarity about the, about the world and stuff like that. And talking about, uh, you know, taking advice from them on, on things, but like some of those things that come up in, in, in comedies and stuff, there is some truth to it. You know, maybe it's not universal. Maybe not everybody that's in that situation has a, a lot of, um, wisdom to share, but I remember, um, a documentary I like, I think I brought it up a, a couple times, but, uh, becoming nobody with Ram Dass. And he says like that, the suffering of death, you know, and, and he's spent time with, you know, like thousands of people that have passed. He was really called to, to, to be there with people as they were, um, passing to, to help them. And he said he's met people that just have such a huge ego and, you know, just so wouldn't think that they would be able to kind of lose that or, you know, break up that ego, if you will, to find clarity. But the, you know, the, the suffering and the difficulty of, of dying. And he is, he's sometimes an advocate for, you know, people really having the choice on pain medication and things like that. And, you know, at least someone there to guide them. And, um, because he, he says that the, the pain and the suffering can really do the work of preparing someone to, you know, to pass. And it can, I think he uses words like open them up, you know, and, and um, to compassion and things like that. But I don't know. It's a fascinating thing. I, I've never experienced any anything like that or, or really ever had the opportunity to talk with someone that was, you know, so close to passing. I just wonder if it's, if it's true to the degree that you believe it to be true. Mm. This is something I've been mulling around. It's a very terrifying thought, right? Like mm. it, it, if you really believe that sensualism is all that life is about, is that what you're going to do on your last day? If you really believe that being a good person is what life is all about, is that what you're going to do on your best, on your, on your last day? And, and then the question is, well, do, do those people equally flourish? And man, that's just an impossible question. But you know, how I, I ask a lot of people on In Search of Wisdom, I'll ask sometimes like this opening question, especially if it's someone that I see to like really be a seeker, you know, they've just like done this exhaustive search for, for wisdom. You know, how do you make sense of that particular, it's like someone gets you know, bit by a, a bug, like maybe, maybe Ram Dawson is an example of, you know, someone that just gets some sort of insight and he's finds his way to India and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But I mean, but that stuff can happen at, in philosophical or spiritual traditions of where, you know, decades of just searching for greater understanding of, of stuff not everybody like has that, you know, like you're picking up the brothers K, you know, getting into like Dostoevsky and stuff. 
not everybody's like bit with that, that bug. And, um, I don't know. That's an interesting thing, but it's, um, we're so unique and different, but I don't know. I'm fascinated by like that search part of why some people feel like called to search and some others just don't like in terms of perennial questions or any of the stuff that we ramble on about. I don't know. I think that question, even if you take it at, let's say the most simplest way of asking that question, you could say, do you believe that life is good? Or do you believe that life is not good? And if you believe that life is good, does life get better? And if you believe that life is not good, does life get worse? And I think both of those are philosophically true. Meaning, if you act out in the world that life is good, life will get better. Whereas if you acted out that life is not good, life gets worse. So both of those are actually philosophically true. In in I th- I think and see I, I see you're thinking contemplating that. What do you think? I don't know. I I wasn't necessarily thinking um the question, but you know, do you believe life is good? Probably many people that are listening to to this podcast or you know others like it. Like maybe they've thought about that question and have an answer. But there are also some people where it's, they're just, even if you pose that question to them, they're not necessarily called to, to contemplate it. You know, it's like, you could just say, I don't know. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I mean, I could ask my, my four year old that, you know, or my, or my 10 year old. And maybe, you know, maybe they're in that space of like, you know, I, I don't know. Um, it just wouldn't necessarily maybe be an interesting question to really like go down, but then there's other people. It can drive them to go get a PhD in like philosophy and, you know, and, and like, Oh, really like follow that rabbit hole to the end. Well, my question is, because you raise an interesting point with the kids, do you think do you think your pull to contemplate some of those questions is dependent on your level of consciousness? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I wouldn't really necessarily know. But there, there is something. Um, it's like, I'll, I'll tell you, when I was young... I was probably maybe 20 or so, something like that. I think I've shared with you before, but there was this young guy at the first base that I was stationed at that took his own life. And I didn't know him well, but he just it seemed like he had everything going for himself. You know, really, I didn't know him, but kind of looked, looked up to him in a way from a distance. And just, wow, it just blew my I never, like, I thought that I never met anyone that did that. I, I assumed that, you know, cause I had heard that was a thing that someone could do, but I didn't picture this like young, healthy, good looking, bright, you know, whatever person doing that type of stuff. Um, so it was just a world shaking type of thing. It's like, 
I think it's heard, it's called like, uh, I think I've heard people describe it as like, it's a violation of expectations. Like our brains are constantly predicting what's going to happen. And it's like, whoa, just a total shock. You know, the absolute 180 of what I, you know, predicted was possible and could happen. And some of those type of things, and sometimes it's a suffering, sometimes it's, you know, who knows what, or you see something and you, it just alters the way, I don't know, but something's going on. Have you settled? Are you settled on that now? Or do you find yourself thinking about it a lot? Well, I mean, I think I left that just with more curiosity and an understanding of, wow, I really don't know what is going on with like under the hood, if you will, of, you know, everyone else. Like I assume that everything was wonderful with this person's life and obviously it wasn't. So it left me in a place of, you know, not knowing and maybe a curiosity about human nature probably led me to maybe reflect a bit more of, um, you know, stuff as well. Like, wow, like what's, you know, do I have some of that stuff going on? Like, am I capable of that? And, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard topic. I, I can just imagine that being one of those things. Cause I know one of the worst things about suicide is, how it leaves everyone else around you contemplating that. So I know a lot of people can drive themselves crazy their whole lives thinking, why did my friend do this? Why did my daughter do this? Et cetera. And uh, it's kind of an unanswerable question in many ways, or, or, or it, it's a question. I, I suppose there's an answer to the, to the question. And statistically, I think it's mostly just like a, just impulse, an impulsive decision that gets carried through, but it's not an answer that seems to settle people, right? Like, yeah, sure. Maybe that's the answer, but it's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't seem right because I think there's this element of, well, if only they, they had a bit, just maybe a little bit more wisdom to know that this was just an impulse, or maybe they had a bit more wisdom to know that, that this was going to significantly affect those who they left behind and and i think that's i think that's true you know you and i have an impulse to do something crazy hopefully we have a little bit of perspective you know i find myself feeling things all the time maybe not down that particular road but just in general that i i just i just think to myself yeah this isn't right this is going to pass this will pass really soon right and you just you just wait it out i mean that's that's that i love that christian quote this too shall pass because it's true you think you're you think you're on top of the world? Well, this too shall pass. You think you're down in the ditch and you can never crawl out? Well, guess what? This too shall pass. And I think there's a tremendous amount of wisdom in that. And and I, I guess maybe that's one of the that's one of the things that makes suicide for those that are left behind so frustrating. It's it's like if if only I could get through to them that this too shall pass and that it it doesn't always have to be this way. Yeah, I um. I was listening to a podcast episode uh, a couple of weeks back that has stuck with me. And it was actually um, Brian Russell's podcast. And he had a pastor on that um, was going through 12 steps and stuff like that. And, you know, it was, it was really all about addiction. And I was talking about how, 
we have so many addictions um, beyond alcohol. You know, it's like we all have some sort of, and I, I definitely, I, I believe that to be true. And I, I kind of connect that with the desire, you know, aversion stuff. Like some of that is connected with addiction. But he tells this story of um, someone that I, I think was in uh, 12 steps with him who, you know, just battled alcohol and stuff like that. And like you were talking about this too shall pass, like this uncomfortable feeling, which for some can lead them to like go do alcohol, go do this or that, whatever that may be. Um, But he said that he noticed that if he was just able to sit with it, you know, when he noticed this feeling and, and maybe sometimes we get feelings of like frustration or whatever it may be, anxiety, that if he was just able to sit with it, you know, it, it would pass in under five minutes. It literally would not hang around. Um, and I wonder if there's some sort of like truth to that that applies to many other things like the anger, the this, the that, the any sort of like uncomfortable type of feelings. They don't necessarily have to like control us to do this or that to do like sometimes like even just the awareness of noticing and sitting with it. And it's like, okay, (laughs) you know, it's like the waters can, can calm and we can, you know, go on about our business or something. That actually, I saw Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist. Uh, he he actually said that there's evidence to support that. Yeah. That if if you just sit in discomfort and acknowledge it, it it's not that it goes away, but it, it ceases to to really affect you psychologically. And I, I kind of learned that I guess from ice baths too, because it's the same thing when you're <laughs> immersed in cold water. If you just if you just feel it, think, well, what is this? Well, it's it's sensation. It's unpleasant sensation, but it's just sensation. And then you just you relax. And I know I, I got pushback from this because I did an episode a while back called just I think it was called Just Relax. And the, the whole point of that is if you if you can sit in things and really just just breathe through it, it it does seem to be a lot easier to to deal with those you know difficult circumstances. And, and it seems almost like stupid advice, like just relax. But at the same time, that that's literally what it is. Like if this is something I learned walking, if you walk in a snowstorm or in, in, let's say a cold wind and the impulse is to get your shoulders up, like, like, you know, you're a turtle and basically curl, huddle up like this. And then what you do what's interesting is you actually start to feel colder if you do that versus if, you know, you zip up obviously, but you just kind of relax your shoulders and you breathe through it. It's like the, the cold doesn't really bother you as much. And I think that, that is, that's just a psychological truth regardless of what the source of discomfort is. Dude, I, I love that. I, um, a, a few weeks back, I did, uh, I think, like five, five articles on uh, tranquility. And I, I did the first one on learning to relax. It might have been inspired by that uh, episode you did. I'm not sure. But man, 
that is such great advice of it's let, let me let me pull up there's a um a, a quote in there let me see if i can find it but it is it is weird how much that comes up in spiritual and philosophical traditions like there's many different words for these type of things but essentially it is like you know relax like coming to the realization that all is well it's a chinese proverb but it says tension is who you think you should be relaxation is who you are you know how do we come to just relax like all is well even if it's in this like paradox of death, you know, and memento mori and things like that, you know, like all is well, like Montaigne says something along the lines of like, even if you don't know how to do it, don't worry about it. Nature is going to take care of it. You know, it's like, it's going to happen. You know, that there is, if we can sit in like these eternal truths, like some, Essentially, they're all these eternal truths in a way, like from one perspective, like they're all calming, inspiring, beautiful, like they can feel, you know, and sometimes we talk about it this way of like a harsh truth. But no, they're, they're just what is they're just like, you know, nature, it's gonna run its course. And we're, we're part of that. But I, I love that idea of, um, you know, relax. Such a important word. It's true. It's true everywhere too, because even, even if you're doing like a, a max squat where you have to hold a lot of tension in your body, you, you still have to be relaxed. And that's a weird, that's a weird thing to wrap your head around because you have, you still, again, you have to hold tension in your body to lift the weight, but you cannot, you cannot do anything properly if you're, if you're too tense. Because it, it messes with what is the right path forward. So if you're if you're on if you have a heavy weight on your back and you're holding a lot of tension in your shoulders, you might scrunch up your shoulders or you might be holding the bar a bit too stiff. It's going to mess up your technique, it's gonna mess up your form. And so you can imagine in in a similar way, if you're going through life and you're holding too much tension, psychologically, philosophically, however you want to phrase it. It's going to affect how uh, it's going to affect how you can navigate that path forward, and so I think that's um, it's it's weird, right? Because it's like just relax. Like, what kind of stupid advice is that? It's like, no, you you don't get it. Literally, just just relax. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, a, I'm I'm laughing because I'm like I'm picturing my wife or something. Like if I said that, oh, <laughs> never tell tell her yeah. to calm down. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a. It, it's just for yourself. You can't you can't say it, say it to anybody. Um, I, I love that example of the lift though, and my my brain always goes to think about man, what are the obstacles to doing that? And I would imagine like in that scenario, which is also in many scenarios in life, we think if we don't get this lift, that it's like the end of the world, you know? So it's like, we put so much like this have to get this lift. And it's the same thing with whatever we're doing in life. It's, you know, which 
I think some something that can help with some of this stuff to relax and to navigate the world is like getting into the um, imperfection stuff, like perfectionism and all of this. Like, how comfortable can we get with making mistakes? Because it's just simply part of the the thing. But striving for perfection in a way can just tense us all up and, and make us like rigid to the world it seems well i i think tensing up is actually a response to acknowledging your own vulnerability because if you're holding a heavy heavy weight on your back you are very vulnerable and so it's it's a natural tendency to stiffen up because you you don't want to move right that's the thing when you have a heavy weight on your back you don't want to move because moving compromises your current position could potentially put you in a weaker position and hurt yourself so and in the same way, if you're walking in a, in a cold, in a cold storm, you're you're vulnerable because the weather is cold, and your body has to remain a certain temperature for you to stay alive. So what you do is you huddle up and you shiver and you shake. So if tensing up is a response to vulnerability, then it follows that the way forward is actually an act of courage. So you relaxing into life, relaxing into the squat, relaxing into walking in a storm, that's actually an act of courage. At the most extreme level, like, is that, I mean, does that also apply to relaxing into, you know, the end of our life, whenever that may be, you know, like in that. Yeah, I love that. Like, is that not a unbelievably probably challenging and difficult to do but maybe the the move in that situation you know yeah i mean i I think about the Mm. the elder person in your family who just cannot come to terms with the fact that they're at the end of their life and they're very angry and they're impulsive and they get pissed off over everything versus the person who can who can't even wash themselves anymore, yeah. but is, you know, happy and smiling and, and willing to let their, their family take care of them. Like that's what relaxing into life looks like at that end of stage. Because again, I mean, you, you can, you can picture this someone who, who knows that they're near the end of their life and isn't coming to terms with it. And they are so tense, right. And they're, and they're impulsive and, and they just want to attack, attack because they're in that stage because they're confronting their ultimate vulnerability, which is death versus someone who, yeah, this, I had my time to live. I got a few more years left. I can't take care of myself, but guess what? My kids couldn't take care of themselves when they were two years old. So maybe it's my time to be taken care of. Maybe it's my time to just let my shoulders down, let them wash me, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, I think you may, you raise a great point. I love that man. Just relaxing into life at the end of it relaxing into death perhaps man that's well said that sounds like a good spot to wrap it up what do you think man yeah beautiful we should uh (laughs) we should mention paradoxically speaking premium yeah we forgot (laughs) about that (laughs) uh we went right into it well i had to share with you that that story about the the captain that died because that that was a surprise for me yeah i appreciate you sharing um but anyways, uh, if you like the podcast, you can expect an episode, a free episode once every two weeks, every second Monday. But if you would like more, there is Substack Premium, paradoxically speaking, where you get some bonus series. The one we have out now is on the Inside Man, 
We'll soon be releasing one on Emerson uh, Self-Reliance, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think we did a couple episodes on it. Yeah. A couple episodes on that. More to come. I think the goal is something like every month or so we want to get maybe a couple bonus episodes out. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add? Well, I would just say like, you know, even if you're not interested in the uh, bonus episodes, becoming a a paid member is a way to just support what we're up to, not only like with this podcast, but you know, whether it's the strong stoic or in search of wisdom, you know, podcasts that aren't peppered with all sorts of ads about, you know, anything. This is just something we do to hopefully try to create our own better understanding of, of things and enjoy life. And if it helps anyone else out, you know, that's just a, a bonus as well. But yeah. Love it, man. Guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap. Until next time. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>